If you would, take out your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 10. We will read verses 1 through 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your Son. We thank you for our great shepherd. We thank you, Father, that you have commanded that your people be comforted by the truths of who you are and how you care for your people. I pray that that would be true here today, Lord. I pray and ask that you would show yourself to be the God of all mercy and the God of all comfort to your people, and that your people would be comforted by the reality that they have a great high shepherd who is intimately involved in their lives, leading them. God, would you come and speak to your people? Would you allow us to hear the voice of our Savior in the Word of God? And Lord, I pray for those who do not yet know you. I pray that they would hear their name called today and that they would respond and follow Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be back with you again. Well, today as we come back to our study of John's gospel, we are beginning a new chapter. A chapter that touches on one of the most beloved themes in all of Scripture. One of the most comforting aspects of, of who God is and how He has revealed Himself throughout all of the Bible is that of a shepherd, which is really remarkable when you think about it. For from the beginning of creation, the Creator has not revealed Himself as a God who is just far off and unknowable. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is thrice holy. He is infinite in all of His perfections. He is inscrutable in all of His ways. He is beyond the comprehension of man in all of His attributes. And because of that, sometimes we can fall into thinking that He is far off and unknowable. He is a righteous judge sitting in the heavens, to be sure, but He has also revealed Himself to be extremely involved in the affairs of man and be on that extremely near to his people. So much so that he has revealed himself to be a shepherd who cares for his sheep, who tends to his flock. And this has been the comfort of God's people from the very beginning, always, even going all the way back to the patriarchs. Even the patriarchs understood this aspect of God's character. 
In fact, when, when Jacob was dying, he sought to pronounce a blessing upon Joseph and Joseph's sons, and he began that blessing by saying this. He said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this very day. And Jacob, who is Israel, recognized that his, his life has not been lived out without the involvement of some far-off God, but it has been lived out under the guidance and care of a very near and very personal God, who is, in fact, his shepherd. And this reality has always been known and always cherished by those who truly belong to God, by those who truly know God. And this is why the Psalms are just loaded with this language, with this theme, as the psalmists express the comfort that they take in God as their shepherd. Starting with, with David, with one of the most beloved passages in all of the Bible, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and He leads me beside still waters. Or Psalm 28, 9, O save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Psalm 103, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. On and on it goes in the Psalms. Those who truly know God know Him as shepherd. What a comfort. But those who lived prior to the cross, prior to the incarnation, did not have the full view of what this meant. They did not have the full revelation of who the great shepherd truly is and how he shepherds his sheep. That came at the incarnation. That came with the coming of Christ. All of the great shepherd themes of Scripture find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. As Jesus reveals here, He is the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the good shepherd. And as we is the good shepherd. And as we work this chapter in the next few weeks, what that means for us as His sheep. Now, if we're going to understand chapter 10 rightly, though, we have to see it in its context. And chapter 10 is a continuation of chapter 9. There is no change of scene here. You will notice that there is not John's standard after this to signify a shift. And remember, chapter breaks are not inspired. They were added for our benefit, but sometimes they cause confusion. When John wrote this, he did not include a break between chapters 9 and 10. It was just a continuation. And the reason this is important to see is because we need to know who Jesus is addressing here, which is found for us in chapter 9. Look back at chapter 9, verse 40. Look at what he says. It says, Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains, 
And then immediately he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So he is talking to the Pharisees and to others who are listening in on this. And all of it is intimately tied into what just happened in chapter 9. In fact, that becomes very clear at the end of this discourse in the people's response to what Jesus says. Look at that in chapter 10, verse 21. Look what it says. It says, Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? A clear reference to what had taken place in chapter 9. So we have to see these two chapters tied together. Chapter 10 is a response from Jesus to the events of chapter 9, where Jesus had healed the blind man and the controversy with the Pharisees was unleashed as a result, ending with the blind man being cast out of the synagogue but being found by Christ. That is the context to this discourse that we see in verses 1 through 18. Now, this discourse can really be broken up into, into two main sections. Verses 1 through 5, you have Jesus' main illustration. And then in verses 7 through 18, you have an explanation and an expansion on the illustration. Now, I thought we might get to part of the explanation this week, but I last minute decided to just focus on the illustration alone. So the sermon is really mistitled in your bulletin. We'll not even be talking about his claim to be the door at all. Sorry about that. But rather, I want us to spend our time today just exploring this, this first section, the illustration, with a little more depth than we would have otherwise. And what Jesus is really doing here is he's contrasting himself and his care for the sheep with the false shepherds and their abuse of the sheep. And that, that contrast is going to control everything we are looking at today. And we will first focus on what he says about the false shepherds and then what he says about himself. And I pray and hope that the truths of this, this entire chapter really bring much comfort to your soul. Uh, this discourse is very much like the one in chapter 6 in that the very words that are offensive and outlandish to some they're going to call him insane for what he says here. But the very same words are a balm and a blessing and a comfort to others, to those who have ears to hear what Jesus is actually saying, to those who are really his sheep, to those who are being led by this great shepherd. And I pray that is your experience today as we look at what this means. So let's start working through this starting first with what Jesus says about the false shepherds. Look with me at verse 1 again. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, this entire first section is identified by John as a figure of speech. You see that in, in verse 6. 
Well, there's been a lot of debate over exactly how to classify this. Is it, is it a parable is it with, with one driving idea, or is this an allegory where you're supposed to press each thing to find its correspondence in every detail? What, what is this? What's going on? And the truth is, I think it's best to think of it more along the lines of just an illustration, or as John calls it, a figure of speech. It's not quite a parable of the same character that we see in the synoptic gospels, but if you try to press every detail to have a definitive meaning, like an allegory, you might end up in a little interpretive trouble, because it's not ultimately what Jesus is doing here. What he is doing is he's drawing distinctions between the thief, the robber, the stranger, with the true shepherd, and he's using common cultural pictures to do so. It's both a revelation of who he is and an indictment against others. Now, for us as 21st century Americans, some of this language is a little bit foreign. These are not cultural realities for us. But they were for his immediate audience. These ideas would have been very familiar to those living in the first century. When Jesus speaks of the sheepfold... The picture that you need to have in your mind is not that of a sheep pen with a wooden fence kind of out in the open, much like what you might see on a farm in our day. This was actually a courtyard connected to houses made up of stone walls with a door or a gate as the only point of entry. And very often, families would bring their sheep into these courtyards and would hire a gatekeeper or an under-shepherd to watch over the door. It was meant to be a place of complete security and safety for the sheep. And some sources say that at times they would even place briars or thorns along the top of the wall to deter any entrance other than the door. Because obviously anyone who would try to get around the door, the only legitimate point of entry, to climb up another way would be doing so with ill intent. They were thieves and robbers, people who wanted access to the sheep not to care for them, but to benefit from them, to take from them, to satisfy their own greed and their evil desires. And this was a a regular and familiar concept based off the cultural scene of the day. Now, but obviously, Jesus chose this imagery for reasons beyond just its cultural familiarity. He is actually primarily primarily playing off its biblical familiarity. As we discussed, this shepherd theme is all over the Old Testament, and the Jews understood this. God has repeatedly spoken of His dealings with His people as a shepherd with His sheep. But he's also spoken repeatedly to give warning to those who would seek to use and abuse the sheep. God had severe words and warnings for those who are false shepherds, who do not care for the sheep, but only cared for themselves. In fact, the passage that virtually every commentator believes is is hanging in the background of this chapter comes from Ezekiel 34. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Ezekiel 34. This is a lengthy passage that I'm going to read, but it establishes some biblical context that we need to understand. 
And this would no doubt have been a familiar passage to those leaders who were listening to Christ, though they were obviously blind to its implications in their own lives. But here in Ezekiel 34, I'm going to read the, the first ten verses. It says this, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beast. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over all the mountains and over every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or to seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beast, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. That's an intense passage. Those are sobering words. Now we're going to return to more in that chapter as we progress in chapter 10. But I want, what I wanted you to see here is God's attitude towards those who put themselves in positions of shepherd, accessing the sheepfold only to serve themselves and not to care for the flock not to feed the, the sheep. They did not tend to the flock. They did not gather the sheep and point them to God, their true shepherd. They saw them as a means of gain. They used them and abused them. They slaughtered them, they fleeced them, and they scattered them for their own gain. And this is God's sheep that we're talking about, that they did this to. And this had been going on throughout the history of Israel with both the political leaders and the religious leaders taking positions of power only for their own benefit, not to care for God's sheep. And here in the immediate context, obviously this is a rebuke to the Jewish leaders of that day. The Pharisees who are standing there listening to this they are the ones who have jumped over the walls and gained access to the sheep, not by God's appointment and not for God's purposes, but rather they have illegitimately put themselves in positions of power, and they are just thieves and robbers, only caring for themselves and not caring for the flock. They sought to use the flock to gain, 
rather than to give themselves to the flock. They wanted money and power and influence, and they used the sheep for that end. And when the sheep didn't cooperate, they flexed their power, which was on display quite clearly with the man born blind. Here's a man who was just healed of lifelong blindness. He has never seen before, and now he can see. And the ones who are supposed to care for him, the shepherds of Israel, could not care less. They don't rejoice with him or for him. They only cared about protecting their positions of power and thus destroying Jesus, who was their greatest threat. And as a result, not only do they not care for this sheep, but they did the very opposite. To protect themselves, they cast him out of the synagogue. They scattered him from the rest of the people of Israel. They are evil shepherds, and God is against them. But this kind of thing was not just going on then. It's going on now, very prevalently. How many religious leaders in our day are in those roles not to care for God's sheep, for God's flock, to feed the sheep with God's truth, but rather they are in those positions because they are after a platform or money or influence or power or whatever it may be to serve their own ends. A day of reckoning is coming for the shepherds both those of the Old Covenant and the New. And it will be terrifying. The shepherds will face a stricter judgment, and motives will be revealed. And many will be shown to be nothing more than thieves and robbers who have scaled the wall to the sheepfold only for their own gain. And that is what Jesus is saying to those who are in His hearing now. That's who they were. Now, contrast that with the true shepherd. When the true shepherd comes to his sheep, he does not leap over the walls by night, but he comes through the door. Look at verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The one who walks in the door walks in the only authorized entrance to the sheepfold. And he does so because he has the authority to do so. The sheep belong to him. Now, this is an area we ought to be a little bit cautious about over-interpreting. Many try to figure out, well, who's the gatekeeper supposed to be? Some suggest, well, maybe it's God. Some suggest, well, maybe it's the legitimate under-shepherds. But most think... And I agree that to try to figure that out is to miss the point. Uh, Because the point is not the gatekeeper's identity. That doesn't make a big difference on what Jesus is saying here. The point is the authorization that the true shepherd has to the sheep. They are his. They belong to him. And Jesus is using what was a common scene in their day to make this point. The true shepherd is recognized for who he is, and he's given access to, to the sheep through the door, because the sheep are ultimately under his authority. And not only is he recognized by the gatekeeper who opens the door for him, but he's also recognized by the sheep. The sheep recognize their 
shepherd. Look at verse 3. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Stark contrast to robbers and thieves. Notice the tenderness of relationship that Jesus is portraying between the shepherd and his sheep. The shepherd is known by his sheep, and he knows his sheep. In fact, he calls out each one by name. In the ancient world, a shepherd did not just view their sheep as as just mere livestock, as we do today, simply a, a living commodity. No, a good shepherd viewed them as a stewardship. They were his responsibility. He was to care for them. And historical record shows that some even named each one to ensure that they knew their flock and that they cared for each one individually, that none of them got lost. And Jesus is using that known reality of his day to show the intimacy that exists between himself and his sheep, and between him and us. Now, here in this context, he's, he's actually talking about the sheep of Israel, the elect of Israel. That is the sheepfold in, in reference here. But it extends to us as well, because as we will see next week down in verse 16, he says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. You see, all of Christ's sheep, whether Jew or Gentile, know his voice, and he knows them. And he calls each of us by name. Undoubtedly, a reference to his effectual call in our lives. Those who are his sheep, who are his elect, hear his voice, hear his call, and respond. We respond by following him because we know the voice of our master. And this this goes to show just how personal our relationship with Jesus really is. Yes, there is a corporate aspect to Christianity, and that's a huge part of what it means to be a Christian. We are a part of a flock. We are not scattered, independent sheep living our lives out individually. If we are truly His sheep, we will live our lives in and among the flock, to be sure. But there is also a very personal nature to our relationship with Christ. It's not just corporate. He knows His own each one by name. If you are His, it is because He knows you and has called you out individually by name. And we follow Him because we recognize the voice of our Master. Meaning, those who are His true sheep recognize and treasure the truth of the gospel, the truth of who He is and what He has done. We recognize and treasure the truth of His word because we recognize His voice. We recognize truth and we love our shepherd. Honestly, this is one of the greatest ways to know whether you are truly his sheep. Do you know his voice? And do you respond and follow? When you hear his word or hear the word preached or when you read his word, do you hear the voice of your chief shepherd 
calling to you to follow him? Does the truth bear weight on your soul? Are you beckoned by the truth, convicted by the truth, comforted by the truth, overjoyed by the truth? Do you delight in his word because you delight in your shepherd? Is there intimacy between you and Christ? Do you love Christ? Because it's not all just about duty. It's not. Yes, the Bible uses metaphors such as Lord and subject, slave and master to describe our relationship to Christ. We obey Him because He is Lord and because He is our master. Absolutely. But it also uses this tender picture of a shepherd who knows his sheep and a sheep who know their shepherd. There's a superior motivation for following Christ than mere duty, and that is love. There must be love in your heart for Christ if you are truly his sheep. If there is no love in your heart for Jesus, then you are not his sheep. Paul says it quite bluntly at the end of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16. He says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. You cannot in any way say you are a follower of Christ if you do not love Christ. It is His love for us and our returned love for Him, for Him that compels us, that controls us, that draws us into following Him in all of His ways. And that is the beautiful thing about the way Christ shepherds his sheep. It's not from behind, prodding, but it's from the front, leading. He goes before us, and we follow him, for we know his voice. Again, there's another significant difference between how things were done in the ancient world and how things are done in our day. Shepherds and farmers in our day drive their sheep from behind. They usually use dogs or horses or even vehicles. But that's not how it was done back then. The sheep were not driven by the shepherd. They were led by the shepherd. They knew his voice. And they went out, he went out before them and they followed him. Now a question we ought to ask here is where is this shepherd leading this flock. Yes, we follow our shepherd. We trust in his care for us. But where are we going? Well, this language that Jesus uses actually here points us back to another passage in the Old Testament. It's actually a fulfillment of what was prayed by Moses at the end of his life. See, after Moses had led the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years, as, almost 40 years, as an under-shepherd, Moses was told that he would not enter the promised land because of his disobedience. They needed a new shepherd. They needed a better shepherd. And in response, Moses prayed this in Numbers 27. And listen, listen to the language, how familiar it is to what we just read in John 10. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, 
that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep without a shepherd. Now, the immediate fulfillment of that was who? Who took Moses' spot? Joshua. That's right. Joshua led the next generation, the faithful generation, across the Jordan River and into the promised land. But Joshua is not the ultimate fulfillment of that prayer or that role. Joshua was a type, a foreshadow. There is a greater Joshua, Yeshua, which means Savior, and that is Jesus. He is the man appointed over the congregation of God. He is the great shepherd of the sheep, leading his people to the ultimate fulfillment of the promised land, which is the kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem in the new heavens and the new earth, the place where God dwells with his people for all of eternity. That is where we're going. And that is what is going on in your life right now. As Christ leads. That's where we are all headed as his sheep. Our faithful shepherd who cares for us, who protects his sheep, is leading his flock that he knows by name to cross the Jordan River of death into glory. And his sheep, as his sheep, you can trust that he will accomplish that role in your life with absolute assurity. You will make it to the end if you are His. You will see it, and He will see to it. And there are many in this, in this chapter, there's many aspects to the nature of our perseverance that Jesus is going to bring out, that we're going to touch on as we work through it. But He brings one out right here, right here in verse 5. Look at the, this last line of the illustration. He says, A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. See, the sheep in the ancient world were so accustomed to the voice of their shepherd that they could actually distinguish his voice from any other voice. And they would not respond to the call of anyone but their shepherd, only their shepherd. And in the same way, anyone who has been born of God who is truly one of Christ's sheep, will not and cannot be lured away from following their shepherd. As one who has been awakened by God's grace to the truth of who Christ is, as one who has the Spirit of Christ on the inside of them, you have been given a God-given gift to distinguish between the voice of your Savior and every other voice. Now, That does not mean that we will all have perfect discernment on every single issue. We will not. But it does mean that those who are truly elect, those who are truly His sheep, will never be led away from following Christ. We cannot be led away from following Christ. It is impossible by God's design. Many will try. There are false Christ in false gospels all over the place, in more abundance in our day than in any other time, deceiving people left and right. But those who truly belong to Christ will will abide in Christ. They will not be deceived. This is why John says in 1 John 2, 
when he speaks about that group who abandoned the truth, who abandoned the church, and who ultimately abandoned Christ, he says this. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out so that it might become plain they are not of us. Yes, we will see, and and we have seen many depart from the faith in one form or another, but this departure only reveals what they were all along. They were never one of Christ's sheep, because Christ's sheep will not listen to the voice of a stranger. Rather, they, they flee from them, and they only follow Christ. And again, was that not on display with the man born blind in the Jewish leadership? Despite these being the most respected and powerful religious leaders in Judaism, despite all of their intimidation tactics and their trying to press him to say what they wanted him to say, give glory to God, we know this man is a sinner, he would not follow them. He would not go with them. Knowing full well what consequences were awaiting him, he would not bend his knee to their wishes. He did not believe their position, and he did not follow their deception. He did not believe what they believed about Jesus. Why? Because he was one of Christ's sheep. And he would not and could not listen to the voice of a stranger. He would not bend his knee to their demands or their assertions. But at the end of that chapter, he did bend his knee in worship to Christ. After he was cast out and scattered by the false shepherds, Jesus, the true shepherd, went out and sought out his sheep that was scattered because he knows his own. And the man responded in worship because his own know him. His sheep know their shepherd. This whole figure of speech that Jesus used is an explanation to what just happened in chapter 9. And sadly, the people did not understand this. Look at verse 6. It says, This figure of speech Jesus used, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. They didn't get it. Why? Because it was they who were truly blind. They didn't understand that he was applying this to them and everything that had just happened with a man who was born blind. They are the thieves and robbers. Jesus is the true shepherd, and the man born blind was his sheep. Well, they didn't get it. And for that reason, Jesus continues to press on these themes with with more clarity, which we will explore next week. But as we close our time this week, if there's, if there's one thing I want you to take away from this passage, it is that we ought to have great comfort in this aspect of the character of our God, of Christ. You need to know that Psalm 23 is yours. It belongs to you. It didn't just apply to David. And more than that, you need to know that ultimately Psalm 23 is about Jesus. The Lord Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want. Like Jacob, 
But in a much clearer way, we live our lives day to day by the guidance of our shepherd who is leading us closer and closer to glory. And this knowledge is something that you ought to preach to yourself every single day. Because you need to remind yourself of it often. Because it's often not going to feel that way. I think some of us have and can have faulty expectations on on what this really means. We can easily fall into the trap of thinking that if God is truly leading me, then things will go well, right? I I will constantly be led to green pastures and still waters. I mean, that's what the psalm says. Surely if God is leading, then there ought to be an ease to the journey. Wrong. The ease and the rest are coming. That's the destination. That's promised. Everlasting green pastures and still waters. But the journey to get there is fraught with trouble. The road that leads to glory is often rough and full of dangers and hardships. By leading us, Jesus is not talking about an ease of passage but He promises to be with us through it all. Yes, there will be times of refreshing, but as the Apostle Paul told told the new believers in Acts 14, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. I mean, just think about the man born blind. By the providence of God, he spent decades of his life with no sight, surviving only as a beggar. And when he finally meets Christ, he receives his sight, which is glorious, but on the very same day, he is betrayed by his parents and cast out of his community, destined to live the rest of his life as a pariah among his people. Was Jesus leading him through this? Yes, he was. He was leading this man to glory. And in like manner, we will face all kinds of difficulties in life whether relational or financial or health or persecution or betrayals or whatever it may be. We are not promised to avoid those things. On the contrary, we are promised to face them. They are part of what it means to live out the Christian life. But in the midst of them, the comfort is is that He is with us. Whether he's leading you through the highs, and he does that, Jesus leads us there too, or whether he is leading us through the lows, Jesus is leading us. This is why Psalm 23 didn't stop with green pastures. David went on to say, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, it comforts me. No matter what you are going through in life and even in death, we are the sheep of his pasture. And he is always with us, leading us to glory. This is why goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let that knowledge comfort you and strengthen you for the journey that is ahead. Let's pray.
Oh God, you are our God. And we are your people. You have made us, and we are the sheep of your pasture. We thank you that you are leading us, that there is no instance in our life where our high shepherd, our faithful shepherd, is not leading the way. We thank you that there are times when he's carrying us. There are times when we don't understand where we're going, but he's still leading us. Thank you that he will never leave us nor forsake us. God, I pray that we would leave here comforted by the truth of our high shepherd and his goodness and work in our lives, and that we would have our eyes on that great day when we cross the Jordan into glory and we see him face to face. Thank you for your faithfulness and your kindness and your mercy towards us in Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.